What will the restaurant real estate market look like in 2020? Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, executive editor of Restaurant Business Magazine. And in this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, I spoke with Barry Wolf, senior managing director of investments and senior director of the National Retail Group at Marcus and Millichap. We discussed where lease rates are expected to go next year and what kind of market operators can expect to find when they look for new locations. We also discussed what this real estate market is expected to look like in the future as the restaurant industry shifts and changes to focus more on takeout and to-go and delivery rather than dine-in sales. Barry can speak about all of this. He has been with Marcus and Millichap since 2001, and he specializes in the sale of single-tenant properties and shopping centers and has helped sell some 525 properties. We have a very interesting discussion on all of this and what real estate costs will mean in the future. Please have a listen. Okay, I am here with Barry Wolf. Barry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jonathan. I really appreciate you having me. Super. So, uh, topic is is real estate, and uh, we're heading into 2020. And just uh, in general, for from an from an operator's perspective, how do you view um, sort of the, the the real estate market going forward? I mean, how do you think that um, this is going to like what are what are restaurant operators going to be facing if if they go in to look for a new location or lease a new location or anything like that? And then we're going the real estate side. There, there are challenges. Um, yeah, we work with a lot of different restaurant operators, both corporate brands as well as several, you know, a number of franchise operators, franchisees, and it's challenging. It's a tough time to find sites if they're looking either to lease, particularly if they're looking for freestanding locations. Um, you know, even in line, if you're looking for good quality real estate, it's not easy to find. And I, I say that's the case pretty well nationally right now. We work with again, the operators just all, you know, states all across the country. And I get that very consistently, whether that's from the operators themselves or the developers that are working with the operators. Um, it's, it's tough to find good quality real estate at a price point that pencils out, for lack of a better way to put it, where it makes sense. So where, you know, if it's a developer, where they can get the, the rent to a number that works for the tenant and vice versa. Um, there's, there's, there's definitely challenges out there right now, finding good quality real estate at numbers that, that are going to work for the operator. Do you see, um, I mean, we've seen this in, in the, in the last few years where, where I think some of the lease rates, some of the, the lease rates that, um, that landlords were requesting were getting a little bit out of hand. Um, and, and some brands were actually willing to pay it because there was so much pressure on them to add units. Do we still see a same, that same dynamic out there, or, or do you think that operators are starting to get a little bit of religion here? Yeah, I think a lot of brands are watching their cost. Um, yeah, particularly from an operational standpoint. I mean, you and I were just at a conference out in Vegas, and that was the biggest theme to me was the challenges on the restaurant side related to increased costs, particularly on the labor side. Uh, fortunately, the, the food and beverage costs have remained pretty flat for a few years, but at some point that's going to change. So I think operators are really watching their costs very carefully, and they've been going up quite significantly, particularly, again, on the labor side. So therefore, they've got to really watch their, their rental rates and what they can pay uh, at each of these locations. So no, I think operators have been pretty cautious. I mean, there are some brands that are still, you know, have been paying increasing rental rates, but a lot of them are having to, to watch that. And I, I would say we've seen rents uh, for the most part across the board 
pretty flat and that and that not in a bad way but pretty level mm. uh and that you know we, we haven't necessarily seen a tremendous increases in rental rates in the last probably year or two for the most part and i think that's going to probably continue to be the case right right well, I mean, I think that there was a, I mean, I know some people uh, in, in, in the past had expressed some concern that some people were, were getting a little bit too aggressive in terms of in terms of the rates that they were willing to swallow when they felt that this was going to be an issue going forward. But I mean, it's it's been my general perception, I think, that operators have kind of realized that they can't be doing this. And, you know, given the way other costs, particularly labor, um, are headed, um, that they really can't accept um, a, a hot, much higher cost on, on certainly on things beyond labor. And, and certainly rent would be a significant, uh, significant one of those costs that they have to keep control. Think, yeah. And no, I would tend to agree with that statement. Uh, I mean, I would say they've got levels, operators have levels where they're trying to keep their, their health ratios, uh, you know, below and, you know, as labor costs have gone up, the other cost of operating, they need to, you know, kind of bring that in as best they can. I mean, the operating cost, as far as from a labor standpoint, it is what it is. It's, you know, it's mandated by the states, federally and by the states, and they, they can't go any lower than that. Other, you know, just playing with timing, but um, so therefore, I think rental rates they are looking at those cautiously and carefully, and uh, trying to, you know, maintain those as as best they can in line and making it where they can still be successful and you know, be profitable at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Where do, where do we see the biggest uh, challenges in terms of um, um, industry sector? So what, what, what brands are having the toughest time finding good locations? Is it fast food, fast casual, or um, casual dining? I'm assuming we're talking fast casual. but Yeah, I would say fast casual and the QSR and fast food. That, that's who we're seeing more expansion from. So they're, obviously they're then having more challenges because they're just out there looking more. You know, the Starbucks of the world or Chick-fil-A's or Panera and others that are, are actively adding new units. The casual dining, I'm not seeing as much new expansion. So, therefore, you know, it's not as much of an issue for them, obviously. So, I, yeah, I would say it's probably more challenging on that, you know, fast casual and the QSR sector just because they're, they're the ones that are really expanding more aggressively over the last probably 12 to, 12 to 18 months or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd imagine that like casual dining, if they are expanding, they probably have, you know, maybe more options than than say some of these other sectors. I mean, you might have some more closed locations from other brands or things like that. You know, it seems to me that they they generally look for a different type of location than than your fast food or your fast casual concepts. Yeah, they they are. It's a little bit different. Same time, the challenge for them is they're bigger lot sizes, bigger parcels because they need a bigger building, mm-hmm. bigger footprint. Um, you know, and some of the brands that are expanding, like, you know, Portillo's, let's say, would come to mind. With, you know, they're not aggressively expanding, but when they add units, they've got to look for a very unique type uh, location, both traffic and demographics. So it can be really challenging. They're extreme. You know, somebody like that's going to be extremely selective as it relates to the location. So I'd say in the casual dining, when they are adding new units and are ex- expanding, it's not, you know, there are certainly challenges there as well. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, yeah, and, and Portillo's obviously, you know, builds these giant boxes um, on on a very specific type of lot, and and uh, so obviously, you know, the more restrictions you have on on the real estate you're looking for, obviously, the the, the bigger the challenge that you're going to have, right? Correct, and they're the extreme. But you know, another one would come to mind, like a Cooper's Hawk, let's mm-hmm. say, who you know, again, it's a big footprint, and they need a lot of parking and. 
traffic generators. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these that, you know, are expanding. They've got some unique, uh, you know, unique attributes they're looking for as it relates to the real estate. So the, you know, the actual opportunities can, can be fairly limited and, you know, they're going to be very, very selective as to where they go. Cause if you've only, if you're only opening five, 10, 15, 20 locations over the course of a year as a company, um, those, those need to hit. You've got to, you know, they kind of all need to click. You can't, you can't bat, you know, 50, you know, 50%. So they're going to be, you know, really selective and take their time looking at the locations and making sure they fit their criteria. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, when we talk about uh, having a tough time finding locations, I mean, are they, are we talking about like A sites or, or is it tough to get uh, sort of lower end sites as well? I'd say the A site. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's when you're looking at the higher end. If you're looking, you know, small markets, um, you know, some brands that are going to smaller towns, smaller markets, um, it, it's more the A site. So mm-hmm. if you look at infill, which a lot of these brands, I mean, they're where the demographics and the population base is changing to a degree where more and more folks are living in inner cities and uh, infill type locations, live, work, and play type environments. Um, you know, those are tough to find sites. So yeah, I would say more. Those mm-hmm. A quality major MSAs and A markets, right, right, and 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 historically those are always fairly competitive. So is it just a lot more competitive these days, or what? I I would say I don't know. There's necessarily a lot more competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, there's fewer opportunities. I mean, yeah. you know, particularly if you're getting if you're looking infill or dense locations, a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of virgin land, for lack of a better way to put it, that's available. It hasn't already been developed. So you're probably looking at redeveloping something or repositioning. And, you know, you kind of got to look at those a little bit uniquely and see where those opportunities may exist. And if it's a, you know, if it's an A quality location in an A market, uh, whoever owns that is going to be looking for, you know, if they're selling it a big number or if they're looking to lease it, probably a pretty hefty market, you know, hefty rental, rental rate. So, you know, it's that the number that those, ten, you know, the number of tenants that can pay that may be somewhat limited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I want to, um, I want to shift gears here a little bit and, and, um, you know, one of the things, the recurring themes that's been on the podcast in the year and a half since I've started it is, is this idea of, of, of a changing industry. So, you know, operators almost universally are seeing more takeout. Um, delivery is obviously a huge, huge subject. Um, uh, and, um, you know, and, and how this is, how, how this and, and, and technology are, are really changing the industry is, is a major theme for, for, for restaurant owners and operators right now. Um, are you seeing any shift in how, um, you know, what's this doing to the real estate market? Are you seeing operators look for different types of sites? Are they looking for smaller locations? Are you seeing anything sort of shift in that direction? Yeah, maybe a little bit. It is, it's interesting. I mean, it, the, the business is evolving really significantly, and it's a business, it's a sector that, you know, as recently as just a couple of years ago, it was kind of the same as it was 10, 15, 20, 30 mm-hmm. years ago. Really not much had changed in reality. No. Um, you know, the Ubers of the world didn't, hadn't really caught up to it, but it's really, it's evolving quickly and significantly. So it's going to be really interesting to follow our sector going forward for the next few years. I think it's really, personally, I think it's quite exciting. No. I don't see it as a negative. Um, but yeah, I think it has impacted it to a degree. I think some First of all, certainly with the QSR or fast casual um, you know, drive-throughs, there's a lot, you know, a number of brands that 
as recently as probably five years ago would have never remotely thought about a drive-through. I mean, we do, you know, Panera Bread is an example. Mm-hmm. They they were in line, or if they were even freestanding, drive-through was never something they would have considered. Chipotle is another one. Again, in line, occasionally a freestanding, but drive-through was never an issue. Whereas now, you know, those Panera would never do an, you know, they won't go in a location they can't add a drive-through to. Uh, Chipotle with their Chipotle, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're seeing that more and more rollout. Or Starbucks with just freestanding and only drive-through only. So no, so we're definitely seeing that evolve. And I, I out in Vegas at Restaurant Finance Conference, I was talking with the you know, owner of a national QSR chain, and he made the statement to me that they're actually downsizing some of their units that they they're realizing, and even said it was interesting. He went the other direction where he said they're realizing. Some of their locations without a drive-through are actually more profitable than those with a drive-through, hmm. which is 180 degrees contrary to what we've all you know, thought and, and learned, per se, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the QSR side. But one of the things he realized that the units could be smaller, they didn't need the extra kitchen, their staffing was less, which has become a major issue. So they're really starting to go the other direction this particular brand and testing units again you know, because they're seeing it selectively, some that are very successful and more profitable without a drive-through. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we're seeing, you know, parcel sizes, building sizes, probably for the most part getting smaller. Uh, and certainly, you know, the double drive-throughs and triple drive-throughs and, you know, the pickup lanes and the dedicated parking spaces for Uber and for, you know, customers that place ordered via the app. So, yeah, I think we definitely are seeing the real estate uh, evolve to at least a degree. And I think we're going to continue to see that over the next few years. So yeah, there's definitely an evolution from that's trickling down to the real estate side. Right, right. Yeah, the, you know, the drive-through thing is fascinating to me because you're right. Like I think a few years ago, fast casuals, I think in many fast casuals abjectly refused to put in a drive-through because they didn't want to be considered like a fast food restaurant. They would think that's that's that was too fast foody for them. And um you know, and then of course, you know, you 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 fast forward a few years and and they realize that I mean, that's, you know, consumers really, really like convenience. And we might, criti- as much as uh, we criticize drive throughs all the time, it, it really is the, the, the utmost in, in restaurant convenience is not having to get out of your car. And, um, and so they've, many of them have, have changed their minds. And so, you know, it's becoming more important, which I'd imagine also makes them more selective in what type of locations that they have to get. And then, of course, it's going to be even more difficult to, to find a, a drive-throughable uh, unit. Correct. Yeah, and you, you, then you input, you know, stacking lanes and traffic patterns and traffic flows. So, yeah, absolutely, when you add the drive-through to it, it certainly, you know, raises a lot of complexities. And then, you know, again, using, you know, in the extreme, like a Chick-fil-A or an In-N-Out burger, mm-hmm. that, you know, obviously they've got the drive-through, if not two or three or four, um, yeah, they're trying to, you know, the traffic flow to a Chick-fil-A is just off the charts. And, you know, they've got to really figure out the, the drive lanes and the jurisdictions are very difficult to deal with in a lot of instances, uh, particularly if they know that there's going to be significant traffic flow and back up with the drive through. And so now there's a lot of those as well. And, you know, it's funny as you're talking, I mean, I'm kind of picturing my head. I mean, are we eventually going to have Outback, let's say, with a drive through? I mean, I, it, it sounds really ridiculous, but... The way things are evolving, yeah. and we certainly have obviously dedicated pickup spaces that, you know, Outback and Chili's and Applebee, I mean, they all have now. Do they eventually, do we, you know, who's the first one that adds a drive-through component to some degree? Yeah. 
I bet we see it eventually. No, I, it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all if those things are on the drawing board. I mean, it's not like we don't have fast, full-service restaurants that um, have drive throughs I mean, Steak and Shake's actually had drive throughs for, for years, and it's yep. technically a full-service restaurant. Though it's sort of given um, people who label restaurant chains for a living sort of headaches. But um, yeah, but but you I mean I mean you could definitely see an outback doing something like what Chipotle's doing. I mean I think to put Chipotle's Chipotle's are sort of you know, potentially a wave of the future where they're you know where it's mobile order drive through. So you're not taking the order there, but you're you're ordering it on your phone and then you're picking it up later, um, which to me would be potentially a way around. Some of these, you know, anti-drive-through laws that you see in Minneapolis. I live in 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 the Twin Cities, and Minneapolis has banned new drive-throughs, and you could sort of see that maybe that can get away, get around that a little bit, or you know, and then you know, and I think you know, just broadly speaking, casual dining chains do really need to sort of think their real estate more in terms of takeout than they ever have before. And that would be one way to do it, would be to add sort of a drive-through window for for mobile orders. I yeah, can- and I think we're going to see that continue to evolve. I think we're in the infant stages in reality of the mobile ordering and the apps. Uh, I think as 5G rolls out, that's only going to continue to grow. Uh, and as more and more restaurants, you know, not, not only introduce their apps, because I, I think there's still a lot of them have them, obviously, but I think they're still fairly rudimentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Chick-fil-A is an example. I, I won't go to Chick-fil-A without ordering it on the app first. Uh, I mean, otherwise it takes, from the time I pull up to the time I leave, it's probably 30 minutes. Uh, and I don't say that to ding Chick-fil-A. It's just so crowded and they're so busy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I place it on the app. They've got a really, I think, a very user-friendly app. And I place it, and five minutes before I'm there, I tell it I'm here. But so they just start the order. I walk in, walk out, and I'm instead of 20 to 30 minute process, I'm in and out of there in less than 60 seconds. Nice. Um, so I think we're going to continue to see that evolution with the apps, and like you said, the Chipotle lane is more app based than you know, come like a typical McDonald's drive-through where you place your order with the at the window. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of that. I think that's that's really going to continue to evolve. And maybe that is where, like I was, you know, half joking, half serious, like when are we going to see an outback with a drive-through? I think that would be tied to that is, you know, mobile ordering. Maybe you don't drive up to a window and order your blooming onion and steak, but you place your order and quickly drive through the lane and you never have to get out of your car or nobody has to bring it to you and you're in and out of there in a matter of a minute. But it's definitely it's a sector that's going to continue growing. I mean, I mm-hmm. there's as a nation, we're eating out more and more often and, the restaurants need to do everything they can to, to capture that business and not let it go go elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. And for the record, I think that if any restaurant chain was going to uh, open a drive through window, it probably would be Outback, frankly. I think they'd be probably they'd one of... probably be on the... I would, I would tend mm-hmm. to agree. I mean, I, I think they'd be on the cutting edge of that. I, I wouldn't disagree with you. I'm yeah. trying to think of others, but... And all it takes... It will take just one. I mean, if somebody eventually does it uh and it does it successfully i mean we're a, you know it's a business and a nation of copycats eventually there'll be you know all the new units you know, some of these are really would be tough to retrofit in reality so that would make it where i don't think we're going to see it roll out tremendously you know in the foreseeable future but as they're rolling out new units or you know certainly analyzing and see where could we add it uh i think it's something they would look at you know potentially very closely mm-hmm. 
But, but, but I mean, broadly speaking, do you think that that casual dining needs to kind of th- think their real estate in terms of take out more than, than they had in the past? I mean, would you agree with that statement? Yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah, it's funny. I was even thinking this morning, and I frankly, I think it was uh, when I was listening to one of your prior one of your podcasts. So it kind of throw that your way. It was based on delivery and you know takeout. And honestly, I was trying to what I was trying to think of, and I, I was twenty years ago. Could you do to go at a Chili's or Outback or Fridays or thirty years ago? I think you probably could. But I would think it was a pretty rare occurrence when somebody would call them up and, you know, I'd like to order to go. I think it existed 20, 30 years ago, but I'm honestly not even positive of that. But I don't think it was very prevalent. Whereas today, I mean, that's our, I mean, honestly, my family, we're eating out or bringing in five nights a week in mm-hmm. reality. Um, and I don't think, it, I, I used to think we were a rarity. I don't think we are anymore. I think we're a nation of, convenience and we're being you know we're getting delivered we're you know grabbing meals and yes we're sitting down and dining at restaurants but i get to go at restaurants many many times more frequently than i do sitting at a restaurant Mm -hmm. so if there's a restaurant that kind of caters to that for lack of a better way to put it better than others they're going to get my business much more often than you know than i'm going to actually sit down in a restaurant so and again i don't think i'm that unique so i yeah i think it's a significantly evolving and a tremendous growth area for restaurants over the mm-hmm. last few years that's only that again i think is kind of in the infant stages in reality right right which is exciting and i think opportunity yeah yeah and um it is and i i think you know i mean it, i tend to think that you know specifically looking at casual dining and, and this take trend towards takeout i mean i think one of the big challenges for these restaurants for for casual dining restaurants going forward as as takeout becomes more important as delivery becomes more important there's going to be more of a focus and more attention on 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 their real estate and how they've selected real estate and 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 where they're located and that sort of thing because you know these restaurants really weren't built for that they weren't really located with this idea that people would get in get their food and quickly leave and be able to easily spot them from a freeway and things like that that you know qsrs and and even fast casuals have been thinking about for ages and so to me i mean i think that's one area that they're going to have to think of going forward because because this is really where the industry is going i mean it doesn't show any signs of slowing down i mean you know i mean i have personal a lot of personally a lot of questions about the future of delivery and how big it's going to be but I have no question whatsoever about where takeout is in the restaurant space, and it's going to be a larger portion of that particular pie. And casual, and from a real estate standpoint, I think it's really important for them to look at when they're looking at a new location. You know, are you know these factors have to come into to play for increasingly for an Applebee's or an Outback or or any concept that 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 wants to be like those because that's where consumers consumers really want this stuff, and it's it's just without question to me where they need to go. No, I agree with everything you just said. And honestly, I think uh, the next logical step of that, and I think we're starting to see this, is do you need as large of a unit? Do you mm-hmm. need as much room as far as the actual dining, inside dining? And we've seen a number of brands that have frankly said we probably don't mm-hmm. and have decreased the footprint of the dining area. And maybe it's enlarging the kitchen. Maybe it's not necessarily overall smaller, but I think it potentially is where they're recognizing we probably don't need as many tables in the restaurant. 
but let's focus you know more of our energy more of our effort towards the out you know towards the not delivery necessarily but towards to go and you know another you know what would be interesting to see do you eventually see yeah you know, kind of like you see in the airports obviously you see Chili's to go and the mm-hmm. other brands where it's it's obviously you know almost entirely to go yet do you eventually see Chili's or some of these other brands taking a 1200 foot footprint in line in a retail center that's heavily trafficked and you know, there's zero dining. It's not dining inside whatsoever. It's 100% to go. And I think you eventually are going to see that, and particularly in an urban maybe infill area where there's really no tables. There's not mm-hmm. room for a 7,000-foot chilies, but we can have a 500, 1,000-foot, basically just a kitchen to go. I mean, particularly in an inner city like New York or other areas that are where people are living you know, in, in dense populations where it's, it's, that's all it is. It's strictly to go. Right. I think we'll see more and more of that as well over the next few years. Right, right, right. Yeah, it would be um, um, certainly. Uh, I think that you know, experimenting with these sorts of things is is some. I mean, we're already seeing quite a bit of it. Um, you know, but um, you know, getting back to the point of smaller um, dining rooms. I mean, that's. Um, I mean, how many casual dining restaurants do we have out there right now with with just uh, you know hundreds of square feet per location that is just wasted and unused because, you know, people aren't dining in as much anymore. Um, it's actually right. true for some fast casuals too, but um, people are just not dining yeah. in anymore. No, I agreed. I mean, we're, we're eating out more in reality or not you know, cooking at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for the first time in history in the last couple of years, we're spending more in restaurants than we are in grocery stores. Uh, but that's not that's not all being spent actually sitting in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's a sector that's only growing. But as far as the number of butts in the seats, for lack of a better way to put it, in the restaurant itself, that traffic is probably declining. Which it also presents some challenges. The restaurant sector needs to figure out. You know, you, if you're to go order, you're not probably selling beverage. You don't have that high and you know, high margin, whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic. You don't have that high margin entry of you know, selling an iced tea for three dollars that costs you a nickel. Um, so in that regard, I think they've got to figure that part of it out a little bit potentially as well. How do you get the margins as high if you're not selling any drink orders at all? Mm-hmm. Right, right. So um, shifting gears a little bit um, again is you know, and, and speaking of uh, challenged industry sectors, um, retail has has been absolutely devastated this year. I think we're on pace for record uh, retail closures um, in 2019. Are you seeing any, is are, are closed retail spaces becoming a source of restaurant uh, locations or is it just too challenging in most cases for, for that to, to happen at all? On occasion, um, depends on the size. Yeah, it depends on the, the, the footprint, depends mm-hmm. on the building. Uh, I mean, a lot of the you know, the big news has been some of the boxes that have been vacated. Um, so for the most part, those really aren't, you know, set up for restaurant use. Although I would say this, I mean, there's a box that uh, the sports authority near where I live that got vacated. And, you know, part of it's being chopped up into smaller retail. And I know several uh, fast casual restaurants that are going in that. Mm. Um, so if the landlord or if the owners put some real money into repositioning the property, it could be, but if you're, you know, if you're talking like a forever 21, which obviously got a lot of news and some other boxes that have vacated, not really. Um, you know, if you've had you know, some, you know, some mattress firm spaces that went dark, uh, I know some of those that 
maybe got subdivided or you know chopped up and you know at least in part backfilled by maybe some restaurant uses, but not not seeing a lot of that that mm-hmm. I that I've really noticed. Right, super, uh, Barry. This was fantastic. I really appreciate uh, you joining us for the podcast this week. No, really a pleasure. Uh, it was great talking with you. And that will be all for this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, which, as always, was edited by Christine Cawthon. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. You can find this and other episodes on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the executive editor of Restaurant Business Magazine. Thank you for listening.